We're in the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 2. And we've been looking at the writer's definition, the, the writer's revelation of a better sacrifice. One who was made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, as we read in verse 4 of chapter 1. In chapter 2, I mean, in in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In these last days has spoken unto us by his Son, speaking of God who spoke by the fathers in the Old Testament, who has spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, whom he also made the world. So we've been looking at Christ as our better sacrifice. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is a better faith than the faith we once had. The world we love to have faith in, well, I made a decision. I, I came to the front of the church and prayed the prayer. I got in the waters of baptism. They, the world loves to put their faith in something uh, of, of their own sacrifice. But our Savior is better than that. He's done it for us. He's fulfilled all the law for you and I. He's covered all of salvation for you and I, for his people. Now we have come to verse 9 of chapter 2. Actually, we covered verse 9 a little bit last week, but I want to go back and read it again because we're going to look at verse 10 this morning. And in doing so, we need to read verse 9. And I'll tell you why. Actually, look at verse 10 first. It says, For it. For. The word for. That's referring us to, to something we just read. So what did we just read? We, what I just told you a moment ago, but here in verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now remember, the spirit cannot die. Do you know when, we, when this flesh dies, the spirit will go on to either be in hell or heaven. That's, not, that's the only two places there are. We're going to go on to hell or we're going to go on to heaven. The spirit cannot die. And God is spirit. So Jesus had to become flesh so that he might die. That's what that's talking about. That for, the, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now notice the word therefore. It's important in verse 10. For it became him. This is a connecting word that connects us between Hebrews 10 and 9. Hebrews 10 is what has been discussed in the previous verses. There's a holy, this, there the Holy Spirit sets before us the excellence and the glory of our Lord. And then in verse 9, he tells us that Christ was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he may be, that he, by grace of God, might taste, should taste death for every man. Now, I prefer the King James Version to the other translations. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that all the other translations are wrong because the the King James has some errors in it also. In Hebrews 2.9, the words every man simply goes contrary to what all the scriptures teach. Our Lord teaches us in Ephesians that there is a chosen people who are predestinated from before the world to be called out of darkness. That predestinated people would be contrary if the words every man there means that every man that ever walked this earth. 
So we know that that's not what that's talking about. Might it be simple, might it be better translated for every son of God, referring to all of those who belong to the belong to the Son? Brother Don Fortner writes this. He says a far better reading would be every son, both the original language and the context that we're about to read will show this. To the Jews of that day, the death of Christ on the cross as the sinner's substitute was a stumbling block. Isn't that funny? That's the same stumbling block that goes on today. Christ and Him crucified for the sinner's substitute is a stumbling block. It's a rock of offense. So when the inspired writer of Hebrews mentions this, he immediately declares the necessity for it in our text. This is the connection in this 10th verse of Hebrews 2, he is declaring to you and I the necessity of Christ's suffering and death. Now let's go on with that. For it became him, verse 10, Hebrews 2, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. God has purposed the salvation of his people. But the declaration of that purpose is meaningless until we are assured that God, who has purposed our salvation, is able to perform it. If we are not convinced by God himself that that Jesus Christ accomplished what he set out to do, we'll never understand that. Isn't that what we used to walk in before the Lord called us out of darkness? Isn't that the way we used to walk? We didn't understand any of this. Oh, many people had heard about Jesus and about him dying on the cross, but how many of us didn't know that it was for us until the Lord did a work in our hearts, cutting out that old stony heart that said, I will not have this one to rule over me, and giving us a new heart to love him. Therefore, we are first assured that the Lord our God, who is determined to bring us to glory, is that one for whom all things it says, and by whom are all things. Very clearly, the state takes for us right there that He is. He is the one who will deliver us, and by Him we shall be delivered. This is a declaration of God's total universal sovereignty. He declares that all the works were done by him. The very one whom are all things, verse 10, in who are uh, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. This is the declaration of God's total universe, sovereign, universal sovereignty. This is the description of the triune God. But it is also particularly a description of God the Father who made his son perfect through the suffering of death and bringing many sons unto glory. The Lord our God is glorious in his absolute sovereignty. You and I would have nothing less than God in his sovereign will over us. We love the idea or the, the teachings, the doctrines of election, don't we? Because we know that if God left us to ourselves, we would have never chosen him. We have to be chosen by him or we'd go about our way in this world with some false religion running ourselves into hell through the uh, through the works of our damnation. 
This is what sets him apart from all his creatures. He's glorious in his absolute sovereignty. He distinguishes him from all of the gods that men have invented. He who is God rules everything absolutely. All things are for him to do his bidding, to accomplish his purpose, to set forth his glory. All things are for him because all things are by him in their origin, in their preservation, in their purpose, and all things are by him. That's what the scripture tells us there. This is what the scriptures tell us universally. Look over at Romans 8.28. You know these verses well, but I want you to read it in your own mind. In Romans 8.28. This is the sovereign God of all things. This is why he can tell us in Romans 8.28, and we know. Paul says that, but you and I say that also, don't we? We know. I know for a fact. I know for a fact. I may have to be reminded many a time, but I know for a fact that my God has said these words, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called the called according to his purpose. Let's look at another one over in Romans 11. Turn to Romans 11. We're considering the scriptures declaring our Lord to be sovereign over everything. In Romans 11 verse 36 we read this, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Another one, if you would, turn over to 2 Corinthians. Continue to the right. To 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us, given to us, the ministry of of reconciliation. It says all things are of God. We're talking about a sovereign God over all things. Now one more if you would. Look over at Ephesians chapter 1. Continue to the right. You've got Galatians and Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 11 with me. Speaking of our Lord and His sovereignty in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So we see, and this will be this will be the subject of God's everlasting praise. As you, if you want to look over uh, at Revelations four with me, Revelation four. This will be to the praise of our Lord throughout eternity, His sovereignty, His ruling over all that is. We call Him God because He is God, not a God. He is the God, sovereign ruler over all that is. In chapter four of Revelation. We read in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were 
created. Well, wait a minute, John. Are you saying that evil will glorify our Lord? I am saying that exactly. God's Word says that right there. Everything, everything will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Is He the author of sin? Is He the author? Is He the one who brought sin into the world? Absolutely not. Sin was brought by man, but it was by the determinate counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ that all things come to pass. By the purpose of God that all things happen. When we consider that, we can look at the wickedness of 9-11. We're getting close to that to that anniversary, aren't we? That day's coming up here in just, just another month. Where we're going to see, we're going to be reminded of the evil and the wickedness that came into this country and attacked our country. Many, many religious men that day said, that's God's judgment against the United States for our wickedness. It may be the judgment against the United States, but it's not the judgment against God's people. Our judgment was laid on our Savior. That's how it's for our good. Who knows how many people the Lord used that incident to bring into Himself? We don't. We don't know what goes on in all the world. Our world is full of communications that we never dreamed of before, but it still doesn't open the door for us to know everything like God does. Our assurance is exactly that is that God rules over everything back in our text in Hebrews for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering this is the declaration of God's greatness as our sovereign ruler over all things that are. It is, gives us the assurance of his ability to save us. In the matter of salvation, we need one for whom all things and by whom all things it speaks of. Because no one else can save. Who can create us anew but the creator of all it is? Who can keep us from falling but the preserver of all things, the one who holds all things up by his hands? Who can save us from the many perils that we face in this world, but the ruler of all of those things that bring perils? If we ever are brought to glory, it must be by that God, by the one whom all whom are all things. If you and I enter into glory, it'll by the work, be by the work of Him for whom all things are. Now it says there it's talking about bringing many sons unto glory. As the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, over the Jordan, and into the land of Canaan, so he will bring each of his children to paradise, to the land of milk and honey. Our ultimate destination. We're just on a, we're just on a journey, folks. We're, we're, we're sojourners in this world, passing through. This is not our home. People say, well... This is my home. This world is not our home. This world is just a place where we're passing through, like Abraham, living in a tent for a short period of time. Our home is in heaven. God's people 
Those who were chosen in Christ before the world was, our home is in heaven. That's where we're on our way to. Is the, is the journey tough? Yes. Imagine how tough it was for them and is, the, the Jews in Israel at the time to, to go through what they were going through, to be brought out into the desert where there was no food. Yet the Lord provided for them, didn't He? As the Lord brought out Israel of Egypt, so will He bring each and every one by the hand of His grace for whom He died. Our ultimate destination is God's glory, His eternal glory. And not one of God's elect will fail to attain it. It says in Scripture, not a hoof shall be left behind. That was speaking of the people of Israel, delivering them from Egypt. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Not one true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will fail to attain a perfect and complete salvation at the right hand of the majesty on high. Wherefore God gives grace, where, whereof, wherever God gives grace, he will give glory, and not by degrees. There are those who teach that you can receive higher trophies, higher blessings. If you do something on earth, you'll get this in heaven. God's people know that we get Christ. And if you have Christ, you have everything. There are no degrees. There are no one's going to have this and the other's going to have that. Roger, you and I are going to have everything. Everything. All that is. It's going to be ours. If he gave his only begotten son to lay down his life for us, how shall he not give us everything else there is? But a man by the name of John Blanchard, he wrote this. He says, Heaven is not a content is not a conditional reward, but a consummate relationship. It's a relationship with Christ. It's being in the presence of Christ. Our Holy Spirit uses here the word glory interchangeably with the word heaven. Heaven is a glorious place. Countless books have been written about it. We sing hymns about it. We preach sermons about it. But really, we know nothing little about it, do we? We just know that the Lord says it's a blissful place. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, we read these words, As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So we can see by God's word right here, we see a glimpse through a glass darkly of what heaven might be like. But it is so much more than what we see through the writing of the scriptures. And there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Have you thought much about what are the saints doing in heaven? Have you ever wondered about much what they're doing? What, what do they do in heaven, I wonder? Hmm. Do they fly around between different worlds, maybe? Bill and I were big fans of Star Wars and, and uh, Harleys. So we had fun with it once in a while. Maybe we get Harleys that fly around through all the stars. Wouldn't that be cool? Have you ever thought about what we do when we get to heaven? I can tell you this. This is for sure. This is without a doubt. And why do I know? Because it comes from the Word of God. Listen to what it says in Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. And there shall be no more curse. That means no more sin. What are we doing in heaven? We're not sinning. 
Does that give a hallelujah from anybody? Hallelujah. <laughs> Bill, right now, stands with the Lord Jesus, or whatever he's doing, and he has no more sin. Oh, what a bliss that will be when I won't have to put up with the things that this body, this mind, this flesh continues to do daily. That's all we've known. Exactly. Amen, brother. Exactly. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. I don't know if he's standing. I don't know if he's sitting. I don't know if he's singing. But there's no more sin in him. And he's with Christ the Lord. And his servants shall serve him. There you go. What is it we'll be doing in heaven? We'll be serving our Lord perfectly. Just like he is. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. They cast their crowns at his feet. They sing praises to him. They adore his grace. And they make known the principalities and powers and the manifold wisdom of God and redemption. In that glorious place with all of its glorious pursuits, there are glorious pleasures. There we will understand the meaning of David's words where he wrote in Psalm 611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. That means that he'll show us the whole path of our life and all the goodness that came from it. What we see now is sorrows and troubles We'll see the truth, the wisdom behind God in drawing us and bringing us through those troubles of that life. And we'll see it for our good. There'll be no tears, remember? So you're not going to look back on something and say, Oh man, it's so hard to go through. It is. But you won't see it as hard. You'll see God's purpose in it. His perfect, righteous purpose for each and every one. Let's go on. Thou wilt show me the path of life. This is Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In heaven we shall live. Did you ever try to imagine the pleasures that God, of God, what they must be? What is that which is called the joy of the Lord? What is the infinite satisfaction of our eternal God? What can be the bliss of him who is blessed of God? I can only imagine such things with my puny little brain. Yet I know this. This very joy, this bliss, this peace, this satisfaction and what we shall enter into glory with when our Master says to each and every one of his ransomed ones, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Enter in. A man by the name of Christum wrote these words. He says, If one man should suffer all the sorrows of all the saints in the world, yet they are not worth one hour's of glory in heaven. 
Paul wrote this in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. A.W. Pink wrote, One breath of paradise will extinguish all the adverse winds we experienced on earth. Folks, we're going to glory. Heaven in a place of glorious pleasures. C.S. Lewis, Lewis put it this way. He says, Joy is the, series, is the serious business of heaven. There'll be no regrets. There's going to be no remorseful tears. You won't have second thoughts. Lord, should I do this? We'll know the Lord's will for what it is very plainly. No lost causes, no sorrows. It is written in Revelation 21.4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And God will glorify His people in this glorious place with its glorious pursuits and its glorious pleasures them who shall inhabit them who shall be inhabited by the glorious persons of Jesus Christ listen to what it says in Hebrews 12 22-24 but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh of better things than Abel. God is there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ the Lamb is there. The holy angels are there. The spirits of just men made perfect are there. The all the saints of God shall be glorious. Kings, priests, unto God, arrayed in the king's holy garments, as God himself is holy. Glorious as Christ himself is glorious. Well does the writer of Hebrews use this word when he speaks of heaven. Glory. Heaven is glory. Amen.